Okay, cool. Um, okay, so this is John chapter 18, and in this Bible, it's page 766. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Jesus, Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, Who is it you want? Jesus of, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you, I am he, Jesus answered. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. One of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachments of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought, and brought him to Ananias, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because, because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the, word, to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at temples, or a temple where all the Jews came together. I, s I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard, who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer to the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you are not one of, the, you are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose, pe whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Friends, let's just pray before we think about God's word. Our gracious Lord and most merciful Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that uh, we can uh, free access to your word and uh, that your word uh, teaches us uh, about yourself, about uh, your son, the Lord Jesus, and about our need for him. We pray, Father God, that by your spirit that you would take these uh, words from John 18 and apply them to our minds and our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Over the decades, there have been some famously wrong statements that have been made about computers. Uh, for example, in 1943, the chairman of IBM uh, said this. He said, I think that there is a world market for maybe five computers. Uh, in 1981, Bill Gates said that uh, 640 kilobytes should be enough memory for anybody. I understand that an iPhone 11 has about 800,000 times that much memory, but the tech guys can correct me on that later. But there have been other statements that have turned out to be far more true than the uh, person making the statement would have ever possibly imagined. Uh, like this one. In 1949, Popular Mechanics magazine predicted, and I quote, that computers in the future may weigh no more than 1.5 tonnes. <laughs> they had no idea just how true that statement was. However, friends, there is one statement uh, which, above everything else, uh, was said which was more true than the speaker could have ever possibly imagined. And it's a statement which we looked at a couple of months back when we were working our way through John's Gospel. You might recall it. Uh, in John chapter 11, the uh, Jewish authorities had become very, very anxious about Jesus. Jesus was growing in popularity and Jesus was exposing their hypocrisy and they were concerned that in his popularity uh, that Jesus may in fact um, cause and stir up an uprising, an uprising against the Romans, an uprising which would be brutally quashed. And so they conspired against Jesus. And it was in that context that this particular statement was made. And here it is. It is better for you said one of their leaders named Caiaphas, that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation perish. It's a very important statement. And it's a pivotal statement. It's a turning point in the Gospel of John in one sense because it was after that statement in John chapter 11 that the religious authorities plotted to kill Jesus. And it's a statement which we are reminded of in today's passage. And so how about we open up our Bibles at John chapter 18, where in verse 1 the scene is set. Let me read that for you. Uh, it says that uh, when he finished praying, and we remember the prayer of Jesus in John 17, in the upper room with his disciples, uh, when he had finished praying... Uh, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, this was a sombre night. Um, Jesus knew that the plot to uh, execute him had now been triggered as Judas had stepped out of the upper room in order to go to the religious authorities to betray Jesus. And so now Jesus, with the other disciples, left the upper room and crossed over the Kidron Valley. Now, the Kidron Valley, Kidron's only a very small stream that uh, runs somewhere between the um, 
Old City of Jerusalem, the Temple, and the Mount of Olives, which is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. I think that these days you probably wouldn't, you'd want to be very careful crossing it uh, because it's, um, it carries Jerusalem's um, sewerage. <laughs> I think they've taken it underground um, by pipes at, uh, at the moment. So you'd want to be careful these days crossing it. But nevertheless, it was across the Kidron uh, in the garden. Gethsemane means an, an olive grove. Uh, in the garden that Jesus prayed and waited to be arrested. He waited. He didn't flee. He didn't try to hide. He waited to be arrested because in verse 2, he knew that Judas would know where he would be. For with his disciples, they had often spent time in the garden of Gethsemane. This was Satan's hour. It was dark. It was quiet. It was a lonely place. And the Jewish religious officials and a detachment of Roman soldiers, well, now they could really show Jesus who was in control. And it should have been a simple arrest. But in verses 4 through to 11, uh, the, uh, those who'd come to arrest him, led by Judas, uh, were confronted by a, a very commanding figure. Uh, have a look in verse 4, uh, where it says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And he asked them again in verse 7, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Now, you have to ask the question, why would Jesus need to ask them who they wanted? I mean, we're told that he already knows everything that's going to happen. Why does he, and why does he ask them twice? Who is it that they want? Well, it seems that Jesus, Jesus wants them to spell it out, doesn't he? He, he, he wants them to spell out, he wants them to, to verbalise that the arrest warrant that they have is for him and for him alone and not for the disciples. Um, in verses 8 through to 9, we see that what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is actually protecting the disciples from being arrested. And in that, he's fulfilling what he'd already said earlier on that night uh, when he prayed to the Father saying, uh, I've not lost any of those uh, who you have given to me. Imagine... Uh, if the disciples had been arrested with Jesus. Imagine that all of them had been arrested. Imagine that all of them had been put on trial. Imagine that all of them had been crucified. What would have happened to the preaching of the gospel? No, Jesus got them to state clearly who it is that they came for. Not once, but twice. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. To which, in verse 5, Jesus responded, I am he. Now, the literal translation of that is actually simply, I am. And to the Roman soldiers, it would have meant simply, well, that's me. You've got your man. I'm the one that you've come for. But there may be a little bit more to it than that. For in verse 6, when Jesus said, I am, what happened? 
What did they do? How did they respond? Well, we're told that they, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Why would that happen? Why would they do that? Perhaps they were just shocked that he didn't try to conceal his identity, that he didn't try to run off and hide behind a rock, that he was quite open and quite willing to say who he was. Maybe. But it's hard to imagine that that would evoke them actually standing back and falling over. For those leaders, or for those amongst them who had come from the religious leaders, from the, uh, the Pharisees and the chief priests, uh, the servants of the Pharisees and the chief priests who were there, they would have been uh, educated in uh, the law. And it may well have been that they understood that by saying, I am, that Jesus is making a declaration of his identity as God. An unnerving declaration when it's coming from the lips of the person who you are about to arrest. And even when Peter drew a sword, which was probably a small dagger, and sliced off the ear of one of the high priest's servants who'd come to arrest Jesus, what did Jesus do? Well, in other gospel accounts, we're told that uh, Jesus actually you know, picked up that ear and uh, reattached it to the guy's head and, and reversed that whole process that the man was miraculously healed. That's unnerving. But what did he say to Peter? Have a look at verse 11, would you? Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. And get this, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now his enemies thought that this was their moment, but what we see here is that for Jesus this is all according to plan. So in verse 12, Jesus is finally arrested. Let me read verses 12 through to 14. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas... And here's that statement, was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. So who did they take Jesus to? Well, they took him to a man by the name of Annas, and probably to Annas's home. And Annas here, who is described as being the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who is the high priest that year. So Caiaphas was the high priest. Uh, and yet when we, if you fast forward to verse 19, when Jesus is on trial before Annas, it is Annas who is referred to as the high priest. So who is the high priest? Is it Caiaphas or is it his father-in-law Annas? Now, uh, this is not a pedantic point because in the Old Testament, uh, the, the role of a priest was what? What did a priest do in the Old Testament? The, the role of a priest was to be a mediator between God and man. A, a mediator who would offer up sacrifices to God uh, on behalf of the people. Blood sacrifices of, of, of cattle and sheep and goats and, and uh, birds 
in order to pay for sin. That's what a, a priest does, isn't it? That's the role of a priest. And he would do so because of a need for a sacrifice. Because, friends, God is a holy God. And we are sinners. We are those who are deserving of God's wrath. And so a price must be paid. Now, in the Old Testament, the, the descendants of Moses' brother Aaron uh, were to be Israel's priests, the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. And there was one priest who once a year on a special day, which is called the Day of Atonement, who would offer up a special sacrifice, a sacrifice that only he could offer up, that would involve him entering into the Holy of Holies in the temple, a sacrifice for the sins of the whole nation so that they would be spared from God's wrath and enjoy God's forgiveness and enjoy relationship with God. And that priest was the high priest. Appointed by God, it was a lifetime position for how many people? For one person. For one person. And so how can both Annas and Caiaphas both be high priest? Well, it's because by the time of Jesus, the priesthood had become corrupted. That's why. It had become a political appointment, an appointment which was made not by God, but an appointment which was made by the Romans. Annas had previously been appointed uh, high priest uh, by Quirinius, who was the pagan governor of Syria. And then after Annas, five of his sons in succession had a go at the job until finally his son-in-law, Caiaphas, uh, is now in the position. And you know what happens uh, with dynasties, don't you? You know what happens when, one fa when a father who's a leader passes on the job to his son. Uh, well, who pulls the strings behind the scenes? It's the father who continues to uh, be the real authority and, in this case, uh, also holding the, petition, the position, sort of like high priest emeritus, uh, if you like. And so it was Annas, to Annas, that they first took Jesus. But it wasn't just Jesus who went. Uh, have a look at verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because... This disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire. 
they had made to keep warm. Peter was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Now, we see there that there were two of the disciples who, unlike the others, who had not fled uh, after the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Two disciples, Simon Peter, and what's the name of the other one? We don't know, do we? The Another disciple, the unnamed disciple. And so who was the other disciple? Well, we're not told, but it was, seems most likely that it was John himself. Uh, John, who in writing this gospel, just doesn't want to draw attention to himself. It's very strange that he wouldn't name the disciple uh, when he names, uh, he makes mentions of other very small detail uh, that take place uh, in this uh, situation. For example, the uh, fire in the high priest's courtyard, the actual word that John uses, uh, means it's a fire which, which was made from coals. He, he puts that kind of detail in, but he doesn't put the detail of the name of the other disciple. So it's probably John himself who just doesn't want to draw attention to himself. But what he does tell us, tells us twice, that this unnamed disciple is actually known to Annas, the high priest. And that's how he got inside the courtyard. And so some people ask the question, well, well, how could that be? I mean, how could John, a Galilean fisherman, be so well connected? I don't think it couldn't have been John. Well, you know, the way that social relationships work, it's not impossible, is it? Um, I mean, these days we... We talk about, uh, what is it, six degrees of separation, which apparently connect every single person in the world with one another. You heard of that? And, and you don't even need six degrees of separation to be connected with someone who's important. I'll give you an example. A few years back, my son and myself uh, were in Washington, D.C., and through a, a unexpected uh, uh, some connections, we ended up spending an evening with an American congressman, a Republican, who just happens to be friends of sorts with Donald J. Trump. <laughs> now, I'm kind of figuring that my chances of getting through the gate of the White House based on that connection have sort of evaporated overnight. <laughs> but you get the point, don't you? It's who would have thought? Well, these things do happen. In Mark chapter 1, John's father, who was a fisherman, was able to hire workers for his fishing business. And so, you know, with a little bit of middle-class wealth and perhaps some, some family connections uh, in, 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 uh, on the inside track in Jerusalem... It's not out of the question. It's not inconceivable that John uh, was somehow connected, that it was John who was somehow connected to the high priest. I mean, it's interesting that in verse 10, he actually does name the, um, the servant of the high priest whose ear got sliced off in the garden. 
He says his name was, I think it's Malchus, isn't it? Uh, he actually knew that detail, somehow was able to get that kind of detail. Now, it doesn't prove that it was John, and it doesn't really matter. What does matter is that this other disciple was known uh, by the high priest and therefore was known by the high priest's household. They let him in through the gate, uh, the high priest's household, who appeared to know that he was a disciple of Jesus. And that's important. Because in verse 15, uh, it's why they allowed him inside the high priest's courtyard, whereas Peter was kept on the outside. Not allowed in until the unnamed disciple um, had a word with the servant girl at the door uh, telling her that Peter, Peter's with me. You can let him in. And what does she say to Peter? Have a look at verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She's not challenging him necessarily. She's just drawn the connection that he too may be one of Jesus' disciples. He too, along with the unnamed disciple. They knew that the unnamed disciple was a disciple of Jesus. Now remember that when they came for Jesus in the garden... He boldly declared, I am, as he protected his disciples. Here, Peter declares, I am not, as he disowned Jesus. Earlier that night in the upper room, Peter had declared that he would lay down his life for Jesus which Jesus responded, I tell you the truth, that before the cock crows, uh, before daybreak, you will disown me three times. And three times he did disown Jesus. Firstly, to the girl on the gate. And then in verse 25, <clears throat> as Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked by others around the fire, you are not one of the disciples, are you? And perhaps having heard that of his connection with the unnamed disciple, and he denied it, saying, I am not. Uh, then in verse 26, one of the high priest's servants, uh, one of those who had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the one who, who John notes was a relative of the man who had his ears sliced off. That's an interesting fine detail. Well, he recognised Peter. And again, Peter denied knowing Jesus as the, as the rooster began to crow. Friends, Peter had sinned. Uh, Jesus had once said that whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And whoever disowns me before men, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And the other Gospels tell us that when that rooster crowed, that Peter remembered that Jesus had predicted his denial. And overwhelmed by guilt and shame, he broke down and he wept, and he wept bitterly. 
So what did Peter need? Well, he couldn't, he, he couldn't rewind that moment, could he? You can't rewind time. You can't undo the things that you've, you've done. And there's nothing that he could do to make up for that because he had denied his Lord. What did he need? How about forgiveness? Forgiveness. And that, that's true of all of us, isn't it? Uh, no matter who we are, no matter how we've lived, um, if we had been there on that night, would we have owned up and said, yeah, I'm, one of, I'm with Jesus? Or would we have denied him as well? Or would we have been those who'd, who'd fled, who hadn't even gone, followed him to the uh, high priest's courtyard? Friends, uh, we have all, we are all people who have not loved and honoured and obeyed God as we should. Uh, we've all sinned and we all deserve God's judgment. We all need forgiveness. How can that be? How is it that we can be forgiven? Well, <clears throat> I want you just to remember again the role of the high priest. Uh, what was it? The high priest's role was to offer up a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the people. Now, Annas and Caiaphas were illegitimate and ungodly high priests. They were illegitimate high priests. They were political players. They were just part of the establishment. They didn't deserve... They, they, they were illegitimate in that role. And yet, ironically... As they offered up Jesus, as we'll see next week, as they offered up Jesus to be executed by the Romans, they unwittingly did the job of a high priest. In the garden, when Jesus told Peter to put away his sword, he asked, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And friends, in the Bible, to drink the cup of the Lord means to suffer the wrath of God. To drink it up. That's what Jesus did. For on the cross, he drank up the wrath of the Lord for us. On the cross that Jesus was punished in our place, he drank the cup of of, the God's wrath, of God's wrath, which we deserved. For you. And he did it for me. He did it for anyone and everyone who trusts in Jesus and seeks God's forgiveness. Have you done that? It would be good, said Caiaphas, for one man to die for the people. He had no idea just how true that statement was. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the obedience of your son, Jesus, who drank the bitter cup that was reserved for me, for all of us. Father, we thank you that he uh, willingly but, but sufferingly went to the cross and died in our place. Father, we thank you that you are the unseen hand 
behind the uh, machinations of evil people, uh, using uh, what they intend for evil to bring about your good. We thank you that Jesus did die on the cross for us. And we pray for each one of us here that we would indeed be those who put our trust in him for our forgiveness and for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.